Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and the ex-cop to my hitchhiking angel is Brian Martin. Oh, I'm the ex-cop? Yeah. All right, that makes sense. Actually, yeah, yeah. hard drinking, <laughs> down on his luck. That's right. Lives with his sister in a retirement community. <laughs> That's me. Well, listen, we've been off a couple of weeks in solidarity with the writers and the actors strike. That's it, yes. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm kidding. We're scabs over here. We crossed the picket lines a while back. We gotta buy some time because uh, I don't think Quantum Leap's coming back anytime soon. I don't know that any network television shows are coming back anytime soon. I actually have news on that. Oh. I saw an article just yesterday that NBC is in really good position. Considering. So they'll be able to properly exploit their performers and writers in the fall season. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. You don't want to root for the studios in this scenario, but I think they're going to premiere on October 4th. Oh, October right. 4th is the date, and they think they have enough episodes to get through Christmas. <laughs> right. So uh, television exhausts itself by Christmas. Well, season two is only 13 episodes. Oh, really? They got to earn their keep still. Yeah, You'd I guess so. They would have proven something by now, but uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> I've got about a million things I want to talk about, so I think we need to shave it down a little bit, because I think I could be here all night. <laughs> probably. Probably. This is what happens when literally every single piece of pop culture that comes out in a calendar month has something to do with time travel, <laughs> and we're talking about a time travel series. So, um, True enough. Nate, go ahead. The real reason we were off, I was on vacation this uh, past week or so, and it gave me a lot of time. Dove into some comic books. Ah. And I picked up the Batman 89. As yes. we were talking about The Flash, I think, in our last episode. That's a really solid book. Wonderful. So it's Joe Quinones on art. Mm -hmm. uh, he's perfect artist for this book. Sam Hamm, screenwriter yeah. of Batman 89, on writing duties. Right. If you, like me, ever wanted to see the outcome of Billy D. Williams' Harvey Dent yeah. becoming Two-Face, boy, do I have the book for you. It's great. Yeah. Very, very good. It's the world where I will allow changes to my Batman canon. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Burton's Batman is its own universe that gets away with a lot of stuff. When you think about the way they treat the Penguin and Catwoman, this iteration of Robin that they introduce that I think was cast as Marlon Wayans, if I'm not yes. mistaken. In the original outline for the, the third Batman movie I think it was, the was going to one. include. I think the first one. Yeah, I guess one, you're right. He got yeah. hired for the first one, 
expected to be and in then, it, then expected to be in the second one, and then expected yeah. to be in the third one, and we got Chris O'Donnell. Tim Burton left the project, right. and then that was that. This movie picks up on that. I read it when it was originally released, this Batman 89 series. Duke Thomas was the Robin, or was he... Drake was his name. Drake was his name. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. They don't ever call him Robin. They just really no. hint at it, and of course he's got the R on his chest and whatnot, so he, he's Robin. But it's a really interesting take, folks. If you haven't, I would advise picking that up. It's got the feel of those movies. I can try and read some of that dialogue in those voices. <laughs> For sure. It works. For sure. It works. After seeing The Flash and really wanting to see... Michael Keaton's Batman again. It was a welcome experience. Yeah, it definitely scratches the itch. Yeah, yeah. I got the Django Zorro crossover. That was done by Quentin Tarantino and Matt Wagner. Yes. Have you read that? Which I did not read. I did not read this. Okay, yeah. That's definitely worth picking up as well. Another situation where if you've seen the movie well enough, you can hear the voices in your head. It's amazing that he's able to blend those two, and Quentin Tarantino considers it the sequel. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really need to check that one out. Yeah, and lastly, I have seen Mission Impossible, and of course, Justified just came out. Oh my god! Yeah. So Nate, this, I, is, this is like Nate's week. It is. It's incredible. And like I said, we can't delve into all of these things, especially given that you wanted to touch on Indiana Jones, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, boy, it feels like a lifetime since that came out. Well, I will yeah. say that I was watching Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, and I was looking for a reason to bring it up on this show. <laughs> like We don't need like, a reason. Right, so, well, the villain in this movie is an AI that has... Pretty much sentience. Mid-journey, if it was worth a shit. That's what the villain <laughs> uh, Mission Impossible 7 is, and at multiple points in the movie characters reference that they need to get down to its source code and i was like oh, okay yeah. so maybe that's our maybe that's our inroad here because we <laughs> talked about the movie source code a few weeks ago this invokes the title of source code what is a source code <laughs> i don't honestly yeah, know yeah. i don't know what we can talk about with regards to mission impossible 7 other than the fact that holy god just go see it <laughs> yeah it's really great nonetheless indiana jones I have not seen this movie, but I am also I am also not opposed to spoilers. Okay, well, speak with abandon, my friend. Man, so this movie chatted me that I needed to see this movie, and then you and didn't. I, just, I didn't. You even had an extra week, and you didn't. I, um, I was reading comics. <laughs> okay, and you were on vacation. I, I was on vacation. Yeah. First of all, Indiana Jones: Dial of Destiny. It's way better than you've heard it is. It's a very, very fun, enjoyable indie movie. Yeah, okay. The third act is absolutely bananas. <laughs> That's what I have heard. And does involve time travel. But what makes this interesting is that the MacGuffin in this movie is the Antikythera, or the Dial of Destiny in the title. Archimedes designed this. Right. For purposes unknown, but former Nazi, Jürgen Voller, played by Mads Mikkelsen, who's great in everything, has determined that this is going to be the device he uses to travel back and, spoilers, get this, kill Hitler and supplant him as the head of the Nazi movement so he can avoid making all the mistakes that Hitler made. Right. 
Voller assembles the dial, flies into a fissure in time, and emerges where? At the Siege of Syracuse. Yeah. And you learn that the dial only ever had one destination. Right. And Archimedes was trying to call someone to help them drive back the invading army and win the day. With time travel. Which is what happens. Yeah. His device is a functioning time travel device, but it closes a loop because it only brings the user to one specific point in time with one specific purpose. Help us repel this army. Yeah. So Voller's plane goes through this fissure. It is then interpreted as a dragon in the artwork that is chiseled into Archimedes' later resting place. Right. And uh, Indy and his friends... Ultimately, after meeting Archimedes, <laughs> returned to the 20th century. Well, I heard that he wanted to stay there. Yes, he definitely he got... did. Do you know what happened to Indy and why he's so down in the dumps in this movie? Uh, he's had a divorce and they are separated. his son died in Vietnam. Which is why they're separated. Okay. Now, Indy posits that the reason his marriage dissolved is because... He could not console Marion. She was so broken up by Mutt's death. The truth is, Indy is the one who's inconsolable. And he spends the entire movie running from it. Mm. And his desire to remain back in the past is proof positive of that. And ultimately, his goddaughter, played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, says, no, you cannot remain here. This is not your time. You cannot stay here. And she drags him back to confront everything that he's been running from, namely Marion. And there is a great final scene between Indy and Marion. Oh, okay. It's beautiful. It's a great movie. There's some finality to it then. There's absolute finality. It is, it's terrific. I thought it was just a great, great movie. Most of the reviews that I've heard are, it feels like Indiana Jones, it's not as bad as Crystal Skull, but probably doesn't live up to the first three. I mean, it's hard to live up to those first three. The reason I might give it the edge over Temple of Doom is that Temple of Doom is a weird fucking movie, and the pacing of Temple of Doom is very, very weird. The movie is just all over the place. And this is coming from a guy who loves Temple of Doom, okay? (laughs) Like, I am a guy who does not believe there is an awful Indiana Jones movie. I think there are two exceptional Indiana Jones movies. There are two quite good Indiana Jones movies. Quite good? And there's one that's not very good. Okay. <laughs> but I would I would hesitate to call it awful. Uh, I've so, only so, seen it the one time, and that was enough. I Maybe you, if like, I revisited it, it wouldn't be as bad as I thought it was, but golly. Probably won't. It'll Man. probably be worse than you remember it. <laughs> worse than I remember it? When okay. I revisit Crystal Skull, I find the things that I didn't like about it stick out more and more and more mm. on repeat viewings. Usually but those again, things start to not bother you as much. Yeah, that's know? true. That's but strange. there are things that I really like in Crystal Skull, too. So... It's tough. I have a very complicated relationship with Kingdom of Crystal. I give Crystal Skull kudos for their attempt at this notion of, well, in the 40s, people were all about Nazi movies. And in the 50s, they were all about aliens. It feels outside of Indiana Jones, but I, I like the idea that they're going with there. This is supposed to be the 50s, and 
in the 50s, everybody was afraid of little green men. It's, it's about aliens. It's about yeah. atomic fears and anxiety, right? Sure. Yeah. I think the best stretch of Crystal Skull is the first 30 minutes or so. Yeah, that's Involving fair. the break into Area 51, the fake town, the nuke going off. I think With that's With the refrigerator? Great. I will even grant them the fucking refrigerator because the outcome of that scene is that shot of Indy looking up at the mushroom cloud. Yeah. And I was like, if you were just to take one frame of this movie to explain it to someone, this is a man out of time. And right. this is the visual representing that. And it's even more pronounced in Dial of Destiny because the framing device in Dial of Destiny, not counting the flashback to the 1940s, which I think is also very cool. Dial of Destiny begins on the day that the Apollo 11 crew lands back on Earth after walking on the moon. And it immediately paints Indy as this relic. Not just a man out of time, he is an artifact from a time that does not exist anymore because of the framing device. But the framing device is also there because Mads Mikkelsen's character is one of the Nazis <laughs> excommunicated and adopted into the U.S. under Operation Paperclip. And okay. he became a developer, a scientist for the U.S. government that helped facilitate the moon landing. Yeah. I So, I think it's, so it all ties yeah, together. It's definitely smart. I'm not opposed to watching it or something. I just haven't had a chance. And then most haven't of it been spoiled yet. for me anyway. So I thought, you know, sure. let's Well, share. I mean, I just spoiled the entire fucking thing for you. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. But hey, time travel is abound. Time travel and multiple universes and yeah, the what's multiverse. Next? Um, I don't know. Uh, the the only thing I'm thinking about these days is Justified. Justified, of course, yeah, and some older television. We should probably get on topic here. Yeah, <laughs> is all this going to be at the end of the episode, like post credits? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody. Entire, I don't know if anybody's sticking around for those or not. Um, about Mission Impossible and and Dial of Destiny will be. Uh, I don't know if there'll be bonus features or not. You know, yes. we're just too damn entertaining to throw it on the cutting room floor. That's the way That's I true. feel. That's true. Too lazy. Too lazy to cut it out. <laughs> I'll move it to the back, but people need to hear these conversations. <laughs> I think so. No, I think so. That's how you get them in, especially on a week like this, because uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of our listeners have very limited experience with the show we're going to be talking about this week. That, um, I know almost I a certainty. I knew far less about this show than I realized I did. <laughs> than you thought you did. I've never seen an episode of this show until we did this. Wow, okay. I was only really familiar with the concept. Everyone from my generation knows what Highway to Heaven is, but I don't know how many people actually watched it or remember it. it is... They're mostly dead, <laughs> Nate. <laughs> They're uh, like the people in that nursing home in this episode. Are you claiming I have one foot in the grave over here? What I'm saying is I used to watch it at my grandparents' house. <laughs> <laughs> and is it a crime for me to like this as much as I did? No. Not at all. This it's amazing. Was it's was so good. I don't know what you expect going into a show that debuted in, what was it, 1984 or something? Yeah, something this to that effect, yeah. yeah. Kind of cold turkey like this, but straight out of the gate, the intro of the pilot episode of Highway to Heaven, no characters speak for about two minutes. Yeah. And it is just Michael Landon on a street trying to hitch his way to somewhere. 
Right. And the pace is so glacial. Yeah. And nothing is happening. In a and good yet, way for me. I love yes, stuff like this. Yes, it is this. somehow extraordinarily engrossing. Yeah. The whole thing is just so good. <laughs> like, like, it's just stunning watching this. It's like, man, wow. If you it's guys so are starved for Hollywood entertainment, Hollywood content, what we're advising is to go back and watch Highway to Heaven. You know, just start back in the 40s <laughs> with, like, the Colgate hour or whatever and just work your way up from there, guys. I... Uh, classic television, there is something to be said for it. And this week's watch of the pilot episode of Highway to Heaven is proof positive of that, I think. Absolutely. Did you work up a synopsis as we're prone to do here? Or... Well, okay, so here's the deal, guys. We're talking about Highway to Heaven this week because we've mentioned it multiple times during the first season of Quantum Leap as sort of this archetypal show that involved a wanderer and his faithful sidekick going from place to place, perhaps putting right things that were going wrong. Right. Something that Quantum Leap owes itself to, certainly. Highway to Heaven ran for five seasons mm -hmm. from 84 to 89. I find that really interesting. 1989, it is very that show goes off the air and Quantum Leap comes on the air. Presto, here's our new Highway to Heaven, right? right? Like, it's too coincidental to be happenstance, guys. I have to believe that they were looking for a specific replacement for this show. Now, I didn't look at the numbers on this, but I feel like it was a huge deal in the 80s. Yeah, um, I mean, it's... I don't know what the ratings were on it. Yeah, it's something that stood the test of time in that people remember it. I think if... Oh, sure. Even those who haven't seen it, you know, if you say Highway to Heaven, I think they know, oh, that was an old television show. At the so, very least, they can place it there. And it ran, like you said, six seasons. That's yeah. nothing to sneeze at. And very much in the Quantum Leap kind of mold of people going from place to place and, and yeah. helping others. It's one of those altruistic shows that has no motivation behind it other than do the most good for the most people yeah i one could even say that i quantum leap is more in the mold of this show yes oh yeah this is a blueprint i would say a precursor to what ultimately becomes quantum leap even down to the concept in quantum leap that's revisited multiple times in the original series of who is responsible for sam's leaps right. is it fate or time or is it God. It could be God. Right? Yeah. The original series seems to draw a conclusion there by the end of the show, but there's no questioning the genesis of Highway to Heaven. They lay it all out on the table. They, they make it very, very clear. So, so Michael Landon plays Jonathan Smith. Very plain, nondescript name. It's like that for a reason. Exactly. He is a drifter an extraordinarily good-looking drifter who finds his way in this pilot episode to a nursing home where he basically bullies his way into a job and goes about improving the lives of everyone at that retirement home. Let's just say old farts who are sort of resigning themselves to the end of their lives. They're like, okay, right. well, we're here, and I guess the best days are behind us. And Jonathan shows them that there's perhaps another way and ultimately saves the entire retirement home. Right. While there, he meets a nurse, Leslie, who 
certainly takes a liking to him, and they develop a pretty strong bond. Mm -hmm. Leslie's brother, Mark, who is an ex-cop from Oakland, is kind of a deadbeat, getting drunk every night, living with Leslie. There's one very telling moment towards the end of this pilot where Mark says that he stays with Leslie because I'm all she has. Right. And Jonathan recharacterizes it and says, actually, she's all you have. Right. And my God, does that hit like a ton of bricks? It does. What yeah. you may not know about Mark as you learn about him through this pilot episode is that he becomes the sidekick character for the duration of Highway to Heaven. Right. He ultimately leaves the nursing home and follows after Jonathan, desperate to go with him to keep improving people's lives. It's one of the most optimistic <laughs> hours of television or two it's... hours of television you could possibly watch, I think. One of the things I kept thinking about was that this is the kind of show we could really use right now. Yes. You know? Yes. A void that I was hoping the show Picard would fill. Yeah, 100%. Something positive. Everything is so bleak. Something Things... that is able to not just be positive and optimistic, but be sincere enough to cut through the cynicism that will hit anything like that that comes down the pipe. Somebody looks at something like this and thinks oh, well, that's just ridiculous, or oh, look at how dumb this is, or how pie in the sky this is. But what sells this show yeah, from beginning to end is the sincerity behind it. And the complete driving force behind that sincerity is Michael Landon. Mm -hmm. A complete driving force in the fact that he is a producer. He wrote them, he directed them, and he stars in them. This These is... are not things that I knew going in. Michael no, Landon, no. on every level of this show, is involved. I mean, what kind of clout do you have to have to start a series that you're going to star in, write the majority of the episodes, direct the majority of the episodes? I, I mean, talk about a passion project. Oh, yeah, literally. <laughs> Here's a guy that thinks he can pull off being an angel. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And he does. And, does he, and he does. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Yeah, Landon could write his own checks back yeah. in the 80s, man. Coming yeah, off yeah. of Little House on the Prairie. And not and to mention Bonanza. He a, yeah, Bonanza. He had had a long, storied history on television. Mm -hmm. Specifically NBC, I think. I think it was just a blank check. I mean, yeah, I think so. He could do whatever he wanted, and they would say, yes, yes, go ahead and do it, Michael Landon. And... Uh, yeah, Bonanza was on NBC. This guy did everything for this network, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so the 80s roll around. He's been on TV for 20 years at this point and has delivered hit after hit after hit. He's also just so goddamn handsome. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard to put it into words. It's like Michael Landon is one of the best looking human beings you could ever lay eyes on. It's the hair, it's the jawline, it's the eyes. It's angelic. <laughs> he is. It's just amazing. He is such a compelling person to watch on screen. Yeah. And so much of what he delivers as Jonathan is subtle and nuanced and requires no dialogue whatsoever. It's just a smirk. It's a look. It's He's just got it down but it's man. not like, it's this man had a vision for this show and this is i gotta believe exactly what he envisioned this show would be 
Yeah, you have to think that. I mean, he was in control of just about every aspect of it. So It better be. It better yeah, be exactly what it, it was. Yeah, exactly. I will say there are plenty of moments, at least in this pilot, where it becomes relatively melodramatic and there'll be some manner of wisdom passed on to one of the characters from Jonathan. And it happens more than once. And I was thinking, it's, this is a little heavy-handed. I wonder if this kind of wanes a little bit as the series goes on but all of them are great sentiments and it's all about spreading kindness like every time somebody says the world is cynical the answer is well people make it that way you know it's the people that make it cynical it's really got no agenda except to make things better yep everything nowadays has an agenda to win an argument of some kind this show were released today Would it be embraced by the right or would it be called woke? Hmm. That's kind of the thing that we're getting at here, I think. It's so hard to cut through it. Yeah, and I don't think you could put God on television. I don't think you could get away with that now. Maybe not. You know, was the last time? Touched by an angel? Was that the last time? Yeah, I've been thinking about that too. It almost makes me want to go visit Touched by an Angel. Yeah, because it's a similar premise, yeah. Same kind of thing. But yeah, I, I, you know, spoilers... I am not all that religious, which is to say I'm not religious at all. <laughs> but, but, like, I can watch this and enjoy it just because I know there's nothing but goodwill coming out of this show. He's an angel, but he's not preaching to you, except through example, right. through actions. His mannerisms, his behaviors are very much like Sam Beckett's. Yeah. There's a lot of just skyward eye casting, like... I could use your help with this one. You know, that sort of thing. Right. These sort of subtle prayers or appeals to a higher power. He refers to God as his boss a lot. Yeah. I'm working for my boss, and I don't think my boss would like that because he doesn't get to just do whatever he wants. Right. In this specific one, we're helping out at an old folks home. But the premise to the show is that he's basically given assignments each yes. week he's given an address or a place to go sort of like mission impossible <laughs> well we got to connect this somehow let's connect it at the end <laughs> yeah I, I guess he's given either an address or a name or he's just sort of led somewhere you know but, i feel like it might be something that he's just like possessed to go to he's been given a mission and i think he knows who he's supposed to go help Like, he knows which address, which door to knock on, but how he's going to accomplish that goal, he doesn't know yet. And he's not all-powerful. He's got little tricks that he can play and things that he can do. He is super-powered, though. He is. That's interesting, too. Yeah. It kind of gets hinted at, and then a few more hints just, yeah, kind of revealed that, okay, he's got some magic to him, you know? And it's not just Michael Landon magic. It's (laughs) No, it's like real coked-up, super-strong magic. Yeah, yeah. When he breaks up a bar fight after a guy refers to Mark as Beaverface, which was really great. (laughs) He is an angel that is not above socking a dude in the face. Yeah, (laughs) it's real Old Testament kind of angels is what we're talking about here. The ones that would exact the wrath of God upon man. (laughs) (laughs) So he's given missions each episode, and I like the fact that he's going in with questions each time. He's not 100% sure how he's going to resolve these things and trying to help somebody out. And that's what Quantum Leap was. Yeah. I don't think that's what our current Quantum Leap is necessarily. No. 
Not at its core. <laughs> no. Not at its core. So, yeah, I think this show does ask of its viewers to buy into the religious conceit of it, right? Mm-hmm. But if you count yourself among the uh, secular, there is an inroad for you. And that's what this show does so brilliantly, I think, is introducing the character of Mark as the skeptic. Sure. Right? Yeah. Mark is a former cop. He knows a con man when he sees him. And he looks at Jonathan and thinks, this guy is a con man. One of the best sequences in this pilot involves Jonathan coming over to Leslie's place for dinner while Mark breaks into Jonathan's place to kind of find out more about him and finds it completely empty. There's right. nothing in the dresser drawers. There's nothing in the refrigerator. And while right. he's in there, Jonathan comes back to get some, what was it, sour cream or something sour out of the cream. fridge. Yeah. And Jonathan opens the door, pulls out sour cream, and leaves. Mark just looked in there. There was nothing in there, right? Right. And that leads to Mark and Jonathan's confrontation where Jonathan kind of comes clean with him. Look, I'm an angel and this is what I'm here to do. And of course, Mark doesn't believe it. Right. But he starts watching with a more critical eye and he comes to understand that, no, this is an actual miracle I'm witnessing. Right. Because he leaves a mistake in the refrigerator, the empty refrigerator. Yes. Yes. I hear you like steak. Feel free to eat at my place. There's a steak in the refrigerator. It's a glorious steak. That's all that it would take for me. Turn water into steak, and Jesus, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah. but Victor French as Mark is a really great avatar for the audience in a sure. situation like this. Because this is going to cast a wide net. You'll have the believers who watch the show that are just, praise be, Michael Landon is an angel. And then you'll have the people who look at it and say, like, I don't buy this premise, but that's the reason Mark is there, right? He's there to kind of shepherd you to understanding and relating to this scenario and just saying, like, look, I can't explain it either. But what I know is that something very, very important is happening here. And let's go along for the ride. He's a great avatar for the audience. This is a pilot that, uh, (laughs) I was about to say, this is a pilot that rivals the pilot to Sliders. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is probably better than the Sliders pilot. In functioning as a pilot, I would say it's on par. I really believe that that Sliders pilot, regardless of the outcome of that show, is structurally exactly what you need a pilot to be. Sliders. No, that's true, yeah. As is this. So, very slow burn open. But when you do get there and his first interaction with a human being and the guy's unwilling to give him a ride to a place that he's already going for free. He says, $10 and I'll take you where I'm already going. And he turns it down because the world needs kindness. You know, there's nothing wrong with a little kindness, friend. Yes. And basically, thanks, but no thanks. And the driver moves on. And what happens, but his engine blows out. Trouble with your truck? (laughs) Trouble with your truck. And he helps him get it started and continues to hitchhike because he didn't do it for the ride. He did it because the guy needed the help. That tells you everything that you need to know about what the show is going to be. It's a great, great opening scene. There are two things in that scene, though, that I thought were kind of amusing. One, the 80s were a time where a man who chose not to pick up a hitchhiker deserved to be punished for that. 
(laughs) (laughs) But two, Jonathan's line to him after he repairs the truck is so good. He says, a truck's like anything else. You treat it nice, it'll treat you nice. Right. That's your Old Testament God. That's like a little bit of sugar, but there, there's a threat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, then the best part of it, Jonathan, as he's leaving, says, I'll be seeing you again, Clyde. I'll see you again, Clyde. And walks away. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and great. That kind of leads me into, I was watching with the expectation that he'd be there to help one person. You know, the way Quantum Leap, he's always there to help a person or stop a thing, like one single thing. And he's gone to this retirement home and they just keep introducing characters that are in a bad way. Every single last one of them. Yeah. (laughs) Into the the final scene, it's like, wait, who was that? Even Clyde, when he says, oh, I'll see you again, Clyde, I'm wondering, oh, well, is Clyde the one he's there to help? And as the story develops, I start to wonder, you know, is it? The old lady that's expecting her family to pick her up? Is it Clyde? Is it Leslie, the nurse that you mentioned? Mm-hmm. Is she the one that needs the help? Is it the owner of the retirement home who just needs his perspective on the world shifted just a little bit? Is um, it Mr. Gold, the ancient horn dog that he sets <laughs> the women in the, in the nursing home? <laughs> like, horniest son of a yeah, bitch. That guy. That guy He's cracked great. me He's up. so great. When they introduce him for the like the very first time you see him, <laughs> his, and he just kind of leans into the room. He leans into the and room. stares and, at the camera for a second. And the woman in there says, get away from that door, you pervert. <laughs> yeah. And then he just slowly slides out at the same speed that he slid in. It's hilarious. He's so great. He's so I great. Started, yeah. That was great. But, you know, just another character that's there. And I'm thinking, now, which one of these people is he helping? And it pulls off what paging Dr. Song could not do. Yes. They tie all of these characters together. Michael Landon, the angel, Jonathan Smith, ends up helping all of them by the episode's resolution. And the story all comes together. You've got all these different threads going in all these different directions. And every single character I actually cared about, they needed a helping hand. Like, can you just imagine, would a show like this even survive today? With the religious undertones, like I said, I don't think you could put it on TV. I I wonder. It would immediately become divisive. Yeah, it's tough to conceive of something like this succeeding in our modern social environment. Even with a character like Mark there to act as a sort of mediator, sincerity is so hard to gauge for most people now. And I just, I don't know if it could succeed. I think that's why we need it on television, though. Yeah. We need our popular culture to lead. That's the way change comes about now. Make it normal. Put it out there. I don't think there are any suits out there that would sign off on it, though. I don't think so. But I also wonder how you reboot something like this. We talk a lot about the chemistry that Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell had. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. effortless. They are perfect together, right? And I think that even though you don't see them interacting in the pilot episode the way you'll see them interacting in later episodes, of course, they're building a relationship as opposed to 
Sam and Al who have an existing relationship that Sam just sort of doesn't remember. Right. So you don't get, I don't think, quite as good a read on their chemistry. But Michael Landon as Jonathan just makes a believer out of you. He sells the entire concept. And as hard as it is for me to fathom that this show could be rebooted in a way that would satisfy a modern audience, Mm -hmm. I don't know who you get to fill his shoes. I don't know who else could pull this off like Michael Landon could. Right. I don't know a whole lot about this, but as I was thumbing through the internet earlier, they did do a Lifetime movie, Highway to Heaven reboot in 2021, <laughs> with some Oof. characters, some actors I'm not familiar with. With some actors. Oof. Yeah, who who knows who knows how that came out. But yeah, you're, Ju- you're, Judge you're, Reinhold, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Jill Scott was a name, but I don't know who that is, so I, I didn't... Okay, hold on a second. What, not, are we going to look into this now? <laughs> I mean, it obviously wasn't... Was it? I mean, she's like a gospel singer, isn't she? Jill Scott? I'm not familiar with Jill Scott, except that, her. you know, I came across her name. Yeah, I mean... Oh, I mean, she's been on a lot of TV shows as well. She was on Black Lightning. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Um, she's been in some Tyler Perry movies. She's in the Flareverse, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's only one Jill Scott, folks. I was going to say, if she's a gospel singer, she's almost certainly the lead in Highway to Heaven in 2021. Yeah, I don't know that there's a, like, outside of, like, a Tom Hanks. Who who does everybody love? Yeah, I mean, that you would buy in a role like this. Where Tom like, Hanks is the only one that's coming does, to mind. Everything he does is altruistic. Everything he does is selfless. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. think of the stuff that's on TV. What are the biggest shows on television right now? They are all centered around duplicitous motherfuckers. Yeah. Trying yeah. to get a leg up on somebody else. Whether we're talking about... Even my favorite show, Justified. Yeah, Justified. Like, I'm thinking of Succession. I'm thinking of Justified. You know, it's all about people trying to one-up another person. And yeah. this is completely opposed to that. It still has a good story. Like, it's not all touchy-feely. You know, we keep talking about sincerity and altruism, and it has it in spades. But it's the only the only character on this show that's touchy feely is that Mr. Gold guy I was talking about a second ago. Who's like, hey, you know, I still got some fire in the belly. (laughs) You want to come over for dinner? eh?" He's like that guy on The Simpsons. You know, that one old dude that's like the creepy one that always has his pants falling down. (laughs) Old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be. Ain't what she used to be. Ain't what she used to be. The old gray mare, she ain't what she used to be, that guy. <laughs> All that being said, the story is engaging. You really do start to care about all of these people and what's going to happen to them. And your character in Mark is actually the person that presents Jonathan with the solution to the major problem, which is that outside of all the individual issues all of these people are having, their home is being sold. Yes. And they have to find a way yeah. to get it back. And Jonathan's at a loss for how to do that. And it comes down to the cynical cop whose life has been driven by the six o'clock news. You know, this is a... I love that. Yeah. He's a world-weary 
traveler. He sees all the bad in the world. And that's this why would, he's drinking every night. If there were a modern version of this, Mark would be a QAnon guy. He would be deeply steeped in QAnon. Ah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm i feeling more like he's a guy that's disillusioned by reality. QAnon oh, so people are not... making their own reality. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> you like, know, like, like Mark is acknowledging reality for what it is, not making up a substitute for it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. He's he's a man who's seen things that he doesn't like to see over and over and over again. And he has experiences in the world that just lead him to believe there is no good left. Yes. And he's got empirical evidence to the fact. So it's not that he's just beat up and wrong. They make him a police officer because he sees the worst of the world. And yeah. it weighs yeah. on him. And he's just the type of person that needs to see that there is still good in the world or that he yeah. can put good into the world. So he's the character that Jonathan Smith affects the most change on. When you have a protagonist, they either need to go through their own character change or affect that change in someone else. That's the character in this singular story of the pilot with the grace of God. <laughs> yeah. Because God allows him to do that. Yeah, it's actually a really beautiful bookend. The pilot ends with such a wonderful bookend to the initial to the scene opening. Yeah. of that episode where Jonathan basically says to Mark, no, you can't follow me. I need to do this alone. And then Mark's car, the engine blows. And uh, yeah. Jonathan kind of smiles and goes to join him and their adventures begin in earnest. It's a great, great moment. And it makes you wonder, did Clyde's truck blow up because god made it blow up the implication at the end is certainly that mark's car blew a gasket because god's saying it's okay to bring this person exactly with you. exactly because it's one of the things that happens earlier in part two is and you were kind of alluding to this a second ago that in order to save the nursing home jonathan's like i don't know where we get this money and mark's like hey how about gambling at the track <laughs> and jonathan's like are you kidding i'm an angel i can't yeah. do that i don't think god like, would on. like that right yeah. yeah and so they go down to the track and by divine intervention i suppose win the money but it's clear that god is trying to communicate to jonathan through action right and so by right. the end of that episode where mark's car has the engine trouble it's a signal from God to Jonathan that says, no, you need him and he needs you and right. you guys need to go on this journey together. And it's also just a great moment of show don't tell. Yeah. Like the story is right there and there's no dialogue to drive it. It's just uh, an event and you're like, ah, isn't yeah. that great? Isn't that great? You know, I think we both watched this on the Peacock streamer. Oh, 100%. This was a, what are we going to call it? A um, uh, cock fest. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Okay. That's what Michael Landon would be calling. He's like, welcome to the cock. Yeah. I'm Michael Landon. <laughs> uh, point being, um, the opening, episode one, the pilot, just like you said, it just kind of opens with clouds and the hitchhiking. The second episode opens with the title crawl that the show will ultimately have. And right. in that, it shows Mark picking him up 
as a hitchhiker and the two of them driving off together. Yeah. And for me, that was a spoiler. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. I mean, this, this is going because back to a time where like pilots were just two hours long and it was not split up into two individual episodes the night it premiered. It was just yeah, one two-hour yeah. episode, so that didn't exist. I don't think audiences saw that until it was either in reruns right. or by the third episode, right? Yeah, and by the time the second episode was airing, I was still under the assumption that the Mark character was going to be the person that just would never believe. You know, okay. and he was going to get his comeuffance or something. I did not know that that was the sidekick. Oh, and really? Yeah, right. Like I said, that, I, that, I that never dude never this takes that Oakland A's hat off, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Highway to Heaven by reputation only. Wow. So okay. it was like source code again, where I was basically watching something brand new to it's me. It's interesting because when I was watching it, I never knew how these two hooked up to begin with. Okay. Like I only ever knew them as partners because I never saw this pilot. Okay. Uh, so seeing how they are introduced to one another was very interesting to me. And I was like, I wonder if Leslie ever comes back. Do we ever see her again? I guess we don't. I was wondering about point. that. Yeah, well, I was kind of wondering, over the course of six seasons, does the sister come back? Let's talk about her for a second, because one of the things that I was really feeling bad about through the course of this episode was she was clearly falling in love with Jonathan. Oh, clearly. yeah. like. And as little as I know about this show, I knew he was moving on. I kept thinking, this guy has to know what's going on, right? Like, he has to be aware that he's not only leading this woman on, but that she's falling hard. And the whole time I was feeling really bad for her. Because you know it's just going to end in disaster, right? Like, yeah. she's going to end up lost and because, sad. Right. It's about a, a woman who hasn't lived her life. That's her thing. Like I said, he could be saving just about any of these characters because everybody's got some kind of tragic flaw. And sure. hers sure. is that she's unable to live her life because she's taking care of Mark all the time or always worrying about Mark or always worrying about the people at the home. And she's very plain Jane. She doesn't dress herself up at all. Not until Jonathan shows up. And then all of right. a sudden she's and like, hey, is that perfume you're wearing? <laughs> right. And it's basically a woman that is looking for some kind of meaning in her life or for somebody to notice her. She's waiting for somebody to right. notice her. And, yes, that's a good way to like put it. Her and appreciate her for who she is. And that's everything Jonathan does, including accepting a date to have dinner at her place. Yeah, I thought that was the most reckless part where she's like, would you like to have dinner? And he's like, why? Yeah, I'd love dinner. And in his head, you know, you think he's like, this is just a man who wants to eat fucking dinner. <laughs> yeah, I, I kept expecting that scene where he would have to let her down easy in that Oh, I didn't mean to lead you on. It and, never happens. I, yeah, it doesn't happen. Thank goodness. Because it would paint him in a very poor light, or at least one that's just completely blind. Right. But by the end, as they start to resolve this character, you're okay with it because they give her a, an alternative. And Yeah, yeah. And you come to understand that what was holding her back really was just Mark. <laughs> yeah, Mark and herself. She yeah. was she was kind of holding herself back. And Jonathan has, in a couple of ways, given her the sort of 
trajectory to move forward. And now she's met and this some confidence. Yeah. This new guy. And it seems fairly obvious that they're going to. Uh, well, that things are going to be OK. Yeah. Things are going to work out for her as well. Before I leave this thread, one of the things I found hilarious is there's a moment where she's confessing to him that she puts so much time and energy into being the sister to Mark. And his response to her at that point is, you spend, you spend so much time worrying about me, so much time worrying about Mark. Why don't you spend a little time worrying about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> and delivered a different way that could very easily just be why don't you start worrying about yourself yeah huh why don't you worry about yourself for once yeah yeah it sounds super callous on yeah, the page it really it's does. easy to look at that and think like what a d-bag but again yeah, it made me and I mean, crack I, up of course of course michael landon wrote the episode too uh like he knew what the intention of that line was right but he delivers it in a way that's like that betrays that his concern is for her. He's being sincere about that. Hey, look out for number one. You know, yeah. why don't <laughs> like, you spend a little time worrying about yourself? That whole adage that you have to love yourself before you can love someone else. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the sheer verbiage of it delivered by anyone else would have been just a yeah. landed flat. Yeah, exactly. So, so speaking of loving people and learning to love yourself, I, I got to talk about m what is maybe my favorite, albeit the goofiest scene in this entire pilot. I think the goofiest scene is Mr. Gold leaning into oh, the doorway. I mean, doorway. that's definitely That's my favorite. But to what are you referring, sir? This scene stands out because it's, I think, more or less completely unnecessary. This is the one scene that right, you could give it more, some thought. You could excise from this pilot and change absolutely nothing about it. The purpose of the scene could have been reallocated to another character and the, the plot could have gone on without it. What do you think? <sighs> Maybe the banker that actually owns the rights to the place? Bingo. Okay. Uh, as they refer to him, Old Man Sinclair, uh, who owns the place. Yeah. He works in a high-rise downtown right jonathan okay. goes to visit him to try to appeal to his better sensibilities about not selling the home that all of these uh poor old folks are in jonathan goes in sinclair's on an exercise bike looking like a complete 80s schlub right but what i love about this scene, i, I actually kind of love this scene because jonathan goes in and is in is Immediately dismissed by Sinclair, as you need to get out of here, you're not supposed to be here. Jonathan refers to him by his high school nickname. Right. It's like a rosebud moment. Right. You know? Right. Sinclair's like, my God, nobody's called me that in so long. In fact, in this scene, I made a note that Jonathan is unnervingly wholesome. <laughs> well, that's his thing, is he's privy to information about everyone. He's omniscient in a way that a character normally isn't. Yeah, and basically knows, in the end, how to manipulate people if necessary, like he does yeah. here, this particular character. But he does try. This is really Michael Landon thumbing his nose at Wall Street. Oh, for sure, for sure. And the drive to value financial gains over family and over the intrinsic stuff that the soul needs, right? Yeah, right. So Sinclair mentions his girlfriend from high school. They always pined over each other. He left her behind to pursue a career in finance. 
and they never really consummated their relationship. Yeah. And Jonathan lets him know. He says, how is she doing? He's like, oh, oh she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and as if that's not enough, as Jonathan's going to leave and Sinclair has said, we're still selling the old folks home. It's $116,000. doesn't seem like much, but okay. He Adjusted asks, for inflation. That's got to sure. be... He says, did Allison get married? And Jonathan says, no, she waited for you. I guess you were busy. Yeah. I was like, oh, like what a burn, man. What a burn. Yeah, it's a burn on that character. But like, that's what the 80s was, man. Wall Street with Charlie Sheen. Sure, sure. Greed is good. This whole idea. You know, the Sinclair guy just buried his face in a pile of coke. 30 minutes yeah. later. <laughs> it's kind of a Scrooge and yeah. Marley situation. Old Scrooge, he loves his money because he thinks it gives him power. If That's a really good way to look at it, yeah. Highway to Heaven is designed to be counter-programming yeah. to that 80s mentality. And it does it well. With, with again, Absolutely. with engaging stories. I, I am honestly surprised how much I liked this show. I know I came up with this topic, and I said, really, we should do this. I had my doubts. Yeah, and, you know, listeners may still have their doubts. I'm sorry. Sure, sure, sure. But I don't know. I don't know. But I thoroughly enjoyed the two hours of television. And Thoroughly? Glad, like, I mean. Glad we did this. Like, it's yeah. a good watch. Yeah, um, I mean, highly recommend. Like, yeah, still- I am kind of flabbergasted by how solid by just an objective metric (laughs) right right this is really good the two shows that we've watched that we consider quantum leap adjacent they've had two hour pilots both of them yeah sliders and now highway to heaven and they definitely have enough time to tell a long story that being said i liked this enough that i watched the next episode and I won't go too far into it because we're running long again, but it's a smaller story. They have the hour and they tell a story about, get this, a kid that's dying of cancer to a single mother who's already lost her husband. Woof. And it's not where the angel comes in and decides, no, this child will not die. I will take away their cancer. This child must die. You know, like that's the (laughs) conceit. Is like, this is part of God's plan is that this kid is going to die. And how do they square this? And the thing that I like about it, like I said, without delving into it too much, is it's about dealing with situations that you can't fix. And there's no use of God to change things. God has spared you. You now live. No, this kid's going to pass from cancer. And these characters have to figure out how to deal with that. And then simultaneously make it part of a plan the mother is just unconsolable like why would god take him from me i love him so much and the response is maybe because god loves him too oof man (laughs) like okay all right yeah i want to watch more of this show yeah i'm gonna do it if you find the time (laughs) <laughs> that's, the, you know? that's the trick isn't it yeah that's the trick is finding the time to do this but boy uh i don't regret it i don't regret it i really enjoyed it it's so much quantum leap and 
like I said, for anybody that feels like we're going a little too gushy with this, there is a brawl in an alley. That's true. <laughs> and that's where Michael Landon shows off how coked up and super strong an Jonathan angel can is. Be. Yeah, right. He's yeah. got superpowers. <laughs> if you like superheroes, folks. <laughs> if you like superheroes. If you like superheroes, hey, it's not... Uh, with feathered not... hair, then... Uh... He's got godlike powers. Yeah. That's true. God adjacent. <laughs> Not so adjacent. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So since we're talking about that alley fight. Okay. There's a guy in, in that fight that tries to punch Jonathan and fails. Like he punches him across the face and Jonathan just turns back and throws him across oh, like yeah. the floor. And he says, I turned the other cheek. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, because man. he let so, him hit him twice. Yeah, before I, before I knock you on your ass. That's how you know it's from the 80s, because they even got action one-liners into this <laughs> religious TV show. And it's yeah. right after that in my notes where I wrote, this show is sort of delightful. <laughs> sort of delightful. So, yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Do you have any recollection to what it is that we're doing next week? Not remotely. <laughs> and now I'm afraid. <laughs> Okay, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to pull this off yet. Um, (laughs) Our expectation on the schedule, folks, was to next week review a Quantum Leap comic book. Oh, boy, I don't know if we can pull that one off. We got to find those first. You can get one in the next week. (laughs) I have some in my collection. I'd have to to dig them out. These puppies. I don't know. I may need to go into like one of those sketchy ass websites to find them. (laughs) Okay, so if we can find a way to pull this off, uh, otherwise. We'll come up with something. We'll do the Quantum Leap comic book. We'll figure out a way to make it work. If nothing else, I'll read it, make some notes, and mail mine to you. There we go. (laughs) And then you can read it. uh, And you guys, while you're waiting for us, watch some Highway to Heaven. Oh, do yourself a favor. Get that Peacock subscription. Hey, I'll tell you what, guys. Regarding the Peacock subscription, I don't know if this applies to you all, but when I bought tickets to Mission Impossible 7... Dead Reckoning Part 1 through Fandango. Thanks for saying the full title (laughs) twice tonight. I got an email offering me like three months of Peacock. Oh, no kidding. For like a low, low price. And now I was ineligible to take advantage of that offer because I am a Peacock subscriber. But you may find yourselves the recipients of a very juicy deal that would allow you to watch not just Mission Impossible 7, but the pilot episode to Highway to Heaven as well, and I can't imagine a better weekend. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh... (laughs) All right. Let's hope we get our hands on that comic book, and you guys keep your Peacock subscription because Quantum Leap is now a mere two months away. By October 4th, we could be talking Quantum Leap again. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Strikes be damned. Well, don't damn the strikes. I no, mean, no, no. I want the. Uh, this is. I, we should I am, both go on strike for the next two weeks. What do you think? I mean, for two weeks, I think we can manage. Uh, right. We can do that. We can do that. Folks, please do email us any thoughts or recommendations you might have for shows that you find distinctly quantum leap adjacent. Do you feel like Nate needs to find God but just hasn't had the right message yet? <laughs> you can email us at oboyqlpod. Oh at gmail.com. You can also find us on the <laughs> vapid hellscape that is Twitter. I'm at Captain Byrne, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N. 
and I'm at Action Nate, and I am on Threads. Oh so. yeah, I was gonna mention that I'm on Threads too, but I don't know what my thing is. Isn't it just your Instagram thing? Probably. I jumped is. on there because I was like, I'm at Action Nate on everything. Oh nice. Like, I've okay. got that wrapped up, and I'm, I'm like not. Threads. Okay, I'm gonna sign up just to get the name. Just in case this Threads thing blows up, I have to be Action Nate on everything. So Good move, good move. Well, I am, yeah. I guess, Brian.Lee.Martin on Threads. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, and hit us up that, there. Yeah, you can find me on other social media sites, to be sure. But till next time, guys, uh, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room. regards to Mission Impossible 7 other than the fact that holy god just go see it (laughs) yeah it's really great I am one of the very few people I feel like Fallout was a step down yeah you are in the minority I am very much in the minority I didn't realize the love for Fallout until this movie was coming out and everybody was putting their letterboxed rankings up and I was like that's the one like for me I think Rogue Nation's probably my favorite. Oh no right kidding. Now. Okay. I thought 6 was everybody's favorite. No, I don't think Fallout's my favorite, but I also in fairness think I only saw Fallout like one time. <laughs> so <laughs> the thing about Fallout, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy it. I had a good time. Mhm. But it was a little bit of a letdown for me because it really just feels like a big action movie, which you know, yeah. okay, it's Mission Impossible and those are action movies. I get it. But it didn't feel very spy-like. Sure. It just seemed like Tom Cruise going around doing a bunch of stunts and fighting. And the impossible plan was to, like, run one truck over with another. <laughs> like, that was the big, <laughs> like, the big trick was I'm going to drive out of this alley and smash my truck into his truck. With Mission Impossible, fair I... Point. I really want some kind of super intricate plan. Like some kind of subterfuge has to exist. Yeah, absolutely. Seven achieves that in a way that's very, very interesting. I think with Grace and her accepting the role of a different character in the movie and having to play up to that. And it leads to a very tense sequence, I think. Yeah. The best Mission Impossible movies all incorporate something like that where you're just like, Kind of on the edge of your seat, not because of the action, but because of the the intensity, possible outcomes and the intensity of this very quiet yeah. moment. Yeah, that's what I like so much about the first one. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this has my Mia Calavici in a starring mm-hmm. role there. As chairman of Paprika, Seed defined her. He saw this at a screening and then messaged me and said, happy to report that Haley Atwell is prime USDA certified in Mission Impossible 7. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, she was indeed, wasn't she? She's great. She's great on a lot of levels. But there is one thing, and I think any Paprikans out there may have seen this on my feed, but when did the IMF become the A-team? It seems... Like, like, uh, is like it, the are rogue they just... agency is kind of part of the process now. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't even feel like an agency anymore. Isn't it just... No, it just feels like dudes. It's just Ethan, Luther, and Benji, right? Like, there's nobody else. 
That's definitely what it feels like. And he didn't report to anybody. He snuck into... There's that guy that drops off the quote-unquote food at the beginning of the movie who's clearly an IMF recruit. But right, but... What is the structure of this agency? <laughs> and does the Nobody agency... seems to know it exists except for Kittredge. Exactly. The head of the NSA and the head of the CIA, they're unaware of the IMF, which was just having, like, governmental meetings about their activities in Rogue Nation. Sh- sure, it's like, sure. What, what happened <laughs> to this? And that trainee or that recruit at the beginning, Ethan was... He's like a DoorDash guy, yeah. Yeah, and Ethan was having to direct him on what he was supposed to be doing. Super nervous. Yeah, yeah. super nervous. It was clear that he had been recruited probably by Ethan in some regard. So... I think the IMF has been disbanded, maybe? And now it's just Just totally off the books. And Kittredge is just like, I got to reach out to this guy, you know, which is what basically what the A-team was. (laughs) That's true. One of the things that has struck me about these films over the last 20 years, 30 years, however long they've been going on at this point, is that we haven't really had an IMF team since the first movie like a traditional Mission Impossible TV show style IMF team. I don't know. Every Like roles and recruitment and, and who's a member and who's not has kind of fluctuated over the years. You know, we mm-hmm. get, there's Maggie Q, you know, in one movie. We get people who kind of uh, come in and out. But I feel like this movie has put us on the brink of having a legitimate IMF team that's more than three people deep for the first so time what, in four several people deep? Several movies. No, like what I kind of want to see by the end of Dead Reckoning Part 2 is, of course, Ethan Hunt Mm -hmm. is the head of this group. Grace is there. Luther's probably going to retire. I'm going to just throw that out there. Benji is there. I really want Pom Clementif's character, Paris, to join the group. And I really want Shea Wiggum's character from this movie who is one of the two CIA agents tracking Ethan across the oh, globe. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. I want him to be a part of yeah, the Yeah, I feel IMF like he's going to, yeah, he's going to switch sides. He's going to see the light. Right. But you've got all the pieces here. End eight with a variety of agents who all serve a different purpose within this unified group. Okay. That's where I hope this is going. Okay. I really want to see more of Pom Clementine's character. Just throwing that out there because she was delightful in this movie. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that. I do feel like the show and Mission Impossible it always seemed like it was a property with characters coming in and out. I mean, that's always been the case. Yeah. So I've never been thrown by this character's gone now and, oh, here's a new character. Because it's always been like, choose your agents. This is yeah. your mission. Who do you want on your team this time? I guess for me, it's always been the volume of agents. There's been four guys. Yeah. Or three guys and a woman. Right. And the very first Mission Impossible movie, there was a really substantial team of people right. at the beginning of that film, most of whom are dead 20 minutes in. But you got the impression they worked together all the time. There were three women, in fact, on that team. Yeah. Four dudes, each one fulfilling a different role. It was just, it seemed like a core group of people that worked together pretty frequently. And that's. One thing that the movies have missed, other than longstanding characters like Luther and Benji at this point. You right. Know, 
I was going to say Mission Impossible 6 is basically just Ethan and Benji. Yeah. Like the whole movie. And like Benji's a scuba diver all of a sudden. You remember Benji in Mission Impossible 3? Right. Yeah. Like the nervous computer guy that wouldn't leave headquarters. Exactly. And like, yeah. And now he's doing like scuba diving stunts and saving and criminals. God love him. Out of- he, as, as Mission Impossible 7 acknowledges, he loves his friends more than anything else. And his friends are Luther and Ethan. Right. And yeah. he would do anything for those two guys. Being a part of the action is Benji being there for Ethan. I think he's grown into this character. Is he out of his depth most of the time? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think my favorite team was ghost protocol. When I rank these, that was a good team. I have a lot of difficulty deciding whether my favorite is the first one or the fourth one. Okay. Yeah. So ghost usually, protocol is so good. It's so good. I'm not a big Jeremy Renner fan, but he had an interesting role there. And Brant. Yeah. Boy, he got swept under the rug. <laughs> I think he was supposed to be killed in this one, and he decided against being in it at all. Oh, okay. Hmm. Maybe I'm just spreading rumor. <laughs> Boy, if, if it's Jeremy Renner's fault that Rebecca Ferguson is dead now, I'm going to be really mad with Jeremy Renner. I was upset with that. I think I would die for Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah. Like, just whatever you need me to do, I will do it. So, I would guess then you're not in favor of replacing her with Haley Atwell? I'm not going to say I'm not a Haley Atwell stan either i just think there's plenty of room for two of them yeah i agree with that i didn't think she needed to go because they both serve different purposes a thief and a skilled combatant those are two different skill sets you don't need to choose one over the other and i feel like that's what this series has done time and again there's like ethan and then two computer guys and then the woman yeah it always (laughs) feels like they're really shoehorning luther in there yeah God love Ving Rhames, though. Like, you don't need two computer guys, even when they're as just opposed as those two characters and performers are. They did have some fun moments in this last one. Oh, for sure. But yeah, you're not wrong. It seems like they're only allowed to have one girl. It's like the Joker in The Dark Knight, where he, like, breaks that pool cue and tosses it down and is like, all right, now you guys figure out which which one of you is going to live through this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Nonetheless, Indiana Jones. (laughs) I have not seen this movie. Jacqueline left a, uh, an unconsumed glass of wine on the counter. So I just, uh, picked it up. I got a little amber myself. (laughs) All right. I can't, can't let that go to waste. And it seems fitting. Yes. That I have a glass of wine and we're talking about Highway to Heaven. It kind of does. It kind of does. <laughs>